What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hernition, joined as always by my colleague over at Blue Chip Scouting, Devin Jackson. And today we're joined by a very special guest. We've been working on this for a while. I'm so glad that this has come through. He works at Coast to Coast Scouting. It's our guy, Tyler Fornis. Tyler, how you doing, man? It is a fantastic Monday here in uh, Minnesota, also known as South Canada. Shout out there, Mike. Uh, e, hey, is- I like that. Life is good. I'm still working during this whole coronavirus thing, and it's it's been a crazy time, but thank God the draft is still around. I would lose my shit if, if the draft was not going on. I, both of us are still working as well. Um, I am at least able to like work very close to home. Uh, Devin, aren't you still being expected to head into work on, on like a semi-regular basis, you were saying, not too long ago? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we haven't like shut down like restrictions or anything like that and uh i mean obviously we we stopped kind of doing like in-person interviews and uh kind of you know limiting you know physical contact with like people that we uh we're looking to do stories on but for the most part yeah we uh we've cut back some of like the routine stuff but we still have people we still come into the office pretty much every day um we've had like three or four people like employees that have been quarantined uh, just simply from the fact that they went on like trips, like two of them went on a cruise, uh, you know, one of them went to like Germany before, you know, things got crazy here in the U.S. And then uh, another one actually was at a uh, Division One AA basketball championship game. And one of the referees tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. So for like the safety of him, you know, and potentially having it or you know, being exposed to it, they, they sent them home for a week. So it's been a little crazy here. Uh, they've had like two or three more cases. Uh, they had like our first initial case here in State College, the first, like first one on Friday and then like two more since then. But uh, for the most part, everything's good, man. Uh, crazy that we got someone in Minnesota, someone in Pennsylvania, someone in Canada, all on the same podcast. So I think that's probably, I don't think it's going to get that much closer than this. Yeah, man. You know, it's times are crazy. Uh, I was saying to Devin before uh, before Tyler, you joined us that uh, you know, being kind of isolated at home the way I've been with just kind of going work and home. You think and you go, oh well, like wasn't that crazy? How long ago that happened? And then you realize that whatever you were talking about happened like two days ago. Um, it's just been nuts. I hope everyone's staying safe. You know, wash your hands. You know, don't do anything stupid. Stay the fuck home if you have the opportunity to. Um, just, you know, just be smart. Um, segueing into today, we're just kind of going to go over a little bit of, of some things that have been happening that either, you know, we haven't gotten to talk about in previous guests or, you know, certain, um, news that just makes a lot more sense with Tyler being here. First thing I want to talk about, uh, the Rams did in fact release that logo. Um, Devin, what are your thoughts? And then we'll, we'll go to Tyler and then I'll give my thoughts. Um, I think I think the Rams have just become a punching bag, to be honest. Um, especially with all the moves that they're making this offseason, losing so much talent. Uh, having, I mean, it got leaked a couple weeks back at the new um, logo, and it got absolutely ripped. Uh, obviously, it's not going to get much, it's not going to be better than like the classic Rams logo that we've known to love over the years. But uh, it's not that bad, honestly. I think you know it's just rebranding. Um, trying to get that merch sale up. Um, I don't know if it's gonna if, if it's gonna attract new people or not because Rams fans seem far and few in between these days uh, with them being LA now really LA Chargers too but I, I don't really see it as a bad thing. I think it's like I said rebranding purposes and you know changing changing it up a little bit they they do need a little change especially with how depleted their roster looks from last year. Uh, in terms of talent, so we'll see. Uh, Tyler, uh, oh, sorry, man. Wanna... This uh, this Rams logo is the ultimate mixed bag. The fact that they went to their old school color scheme, straight fire. The logos themselves, eh, there is some to be desired. That the fonts are fine, but it just feels like that something that you could like copy and paste in like Microsoft paint 
it doesn't it doesn't feel super special it just feels like it exists but i'll tell you as long as they keep the helmets and they bring back the old color schemes i could give a rat's ass i those two alone are worth this the change yeah i kind of agree with what you guys said it's not it's not terrible it'll grow on me but i mean the, the university i go to we're the rams and well i'm, I'm gonna share in the uh in the Google Doc, what we got. I think that's a much better done Rams logo, even if they just kind of did the, uh, the the color matchup. I think that would look pretty fire in the, in the traditional L.A. Rams logo. But what they got now, I'm just, I'm not really sure, man. It's, it's not great. It could be better. But, again, color scheme, fine. That secondary logo, I'm cool with it. But it's just kind of, it, it, it is meh personified. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about, now that we talked about the Rams, like, there are a lot of teams rebranding or s- fixing some aspect of, um, uh, of like, their, their their team identity. The Rams, new logo, probably new new uniforms. Falcons are going with new uniforms. The Bucks have new uniforms. The Patriots have new uniforms coming out. I think the Colts are doing some minor logo and in uh, uniform tweets like there are, i was reading somewhere seven teams are doing some form of rebranding which on average usually it's like between one and three teams um i don't know if it's just that this is an anomaly whether teams just have more time on their hands right now i don't know what to make of it i'm i'm curious to see when these are finally going to start uh, being released especially that bucks one because man i hate the bucks uniforms i hate them i feel like they're going to go throw back to the the cream sickle days it just seems inevitable at this point. You got Tom Brady coming. Uh, you really got to go a lot, go all out with your uniforms. It kind of reminds me, uh, like when whenever like LeBron like moves somewhere, they would get new uniforms immediately. I know the Bucks already had it in, like in the works, but just like you know, the fact that they got Tom Brady, they have to make these new uniforms look amazing. And I think that they're going to bring back that that creamsicle look for sure. Uh, Falcons, I I could. Give a care less about the Falcons. I hate the Falcons. Um, You're from Atlanta. Uniforms. Dirty bird uniforms. I, I You're was, from Atlanta. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was raised in Georgia. I am Louisiana through and through. You so, were in Louisiana for like six months. That does not count. <laughs> my family was born and raised there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna mute my microphone. I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like the. I think the the. Outside, like what the Rams are doing, I think that um, what the Bucks are doing, I think that's going to be kind of the highlight and, and what people want to see, especially with Tom Brady and new threads. Uh, Patriots, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think they would change their uniforms. Uh, they seem pretty classic and pretty basic to me, but who knows, man? I don't know. Yeah, the the Patriots one is one I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued about because i mean the that look looks like something that you should just kind of never mess with it's like when the the lakers i haven't really gotten used to the lakers new uniforms yet because they're just so synonymous with like the you know the you know 90s and into the like basically the kobe era lakers and i don't know i'm like i'm scared to see what could possibly come next with the patriots i hope they don't they don't mangle that uh, and then the last thing I want to talk about in terms of trades, we had two go down today. Uh, Kyle Allen and Quentin Dunbar go for a fifth. Um, what? <laughs> there's there's a lot to break down with this. So when you're looking at these guys both going for a fifth round pick, there's a there's a lot to be desired here. All right, Kyle Allen is an average type quarterback. He's not going to bring anything spectacular to the table. He's more of a jack of all trades type. He's, he'll be able to win you some games. Think Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's going to be too good for you to tank, but not good enough to help you really win. He's a, a backup quarterback is also a very valuable asset. Kyle Allen going for a fifth makes sense because quarterbacks are overvalued because there just aren't enough of them. Quentin Dunbar, on the other hand, is a very good corner. He He's a cornerback two. He's a fringe cornerback one. He's kind of a scheme-specific scheme player. My goodness, I'm eating my words tonight. Uh, so he goes to Seattle. He's going to fit in very well there. But it was well known that he wanted out of Washington. 
And because he wanted out of Washington, it drives the price down because teams know they'll be able to get him for less capital. Therefore, he also goes for a fifth. Then you take a look at guys like Marcus Peters and Calais Campbell, who are far superior players than the two aforementioned guys. Calais Campbell, they needed to dump salary. Marcus Peters, they weren't going to resign him. And he has a history of being a cancer in the locker room. Though That's why those guys get traded for fifth-round picks. There's a lot that goes into all these things. If you're looking squarely on talent, Dunbar going for a fifth makes no sense if Allen does. But context is always king, and that's why you see guys of varying talents being traded for the same capital. Yeah, it's a very good point. I, again, you kind of mentioned the the fact that like Dunbar wanted out, and you know I'm an Eagles fan. We just got um, Darius Slay not too long ago, and I was thinking to myself the whole time he was wanted out, like, well, I don't want to trade pick 21, but like 52 and maybe a, a couple of you know picks in the later rounds or you know a couple of second round picks, maybe that gets it done. But because he was so vocal about wanting to get out, the price tag was only a three and a five. Now one that. I mean, he wanted to get out, and the price tag was still rather high, happened to your Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I'm sorry to, to reopen those wounds, but, I mean, we have a Vikings fan on. Should, should we talk about Stephon Diggs and how you're feeling now that you've got two first-round picks? R.I.P. Diggs. I, he is my favorite football player in the National Football League today. He brought a lot of joy to this city uh, when every time something crazy happens, it's always against Minnesotan, Minnesotans. And it always happens against us. You take a look at highlight reels of every player, like Michael Vick's biggest highlight against the Vikings. You know, Brett Favre's biggest low light for the Vikings. All these little things add up and you just kind of get used to the sadness and you get used to the disappointment and just never having anything go your way like that. And then Will Lutz kicks that field goal to put the Saints in the lead 24-23 and it feels like all hope is lost. And then all of a sudden Diggs comes down and you just go through all those basic emotions, hands behind the head, praying to God, crying, jumping up and down, screaming. And his film kind of does the same thing because I don't think there's anybody in the National Football League outside of maybe Keenan Allen that gets more open than Stephon Diggs. And when you have a guy like Kirk Cousins, getting really open makes a big difference. Cousins can be very accurate, but he has trouble with decision-making. So if you can get open really quick, he is going to... Gets you the football more often than not. Frustration with Diggs. He was getting open all the time. And he was barely getting the football. Diggs loved Keenum. Didn't love Cousins. He gave Cousins a chance. Got super frustrated as we saw last year. After he kind of walked out on the team after the Bears game. And it was just time. The Vikings fought it. Because they know how great Diggs is. Diggs is a top 10, top 15 receiver. That they got in round 5. You don't find guys like that unless you're the Minnesota Vikings because they got Thielen as an undrafted free agent. But to get a 1, 4, 5, and 6 for Diggs and a 7 is quite a haul, and it sets us up for kind of a reload year this year, and then when the cap spikes next year with all the core pieces that are still on the team, they can really make a run and possibly make a Super Bowl run if they play this draft right. Yeah, definitely. I was just I wanted to give Devin a little bit of, of time there because you mentioned a very, very down play in Saints history, and I'm sure he was crying some sad Louisiana tears there in Pennsylvania. Um, but I want to say, I mean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, Stefan Diggs is one of your guys. Well, our next segment, you know, we, we've been covering the, the draft all year, the three of us. Uh, we're a month out. Who are some of our guys? Um, I'm going to start with my first one. Uh, he happens to coincide with an article that's being released on Blue Chip Scouting on Tuesday. Uh, I believe this 
podcast should be ready by Tuesday. So if you're checking that out, go check that out. Or if you're listening to us, go check that out. Uh, Darrington Evans, the running back out of Appalachian State. He is um, not necessarily someone that, like, you're going to see very high up in my rankings. But I just, I can't not love his film. I've said it multiple times. Step one, draft Darrington Evans in round four. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. I love this kid. Um, he's got really good movement skills. Uh, he can catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield, which in this in this economy you need. I'm just looking. I compared him to Ronald Jones, which coming out of USC back in uh, in 2018, I had Ronald Jones as a as a second round pick. Now, obviously, that hasn't exactly panned out, but you know we're kind of look seeing a lot of the same similarities when I watch Evans tape as when I watched. Ronald Jones. It's just I think I've kind of realized where that skill set falls in the draft now. <laughs> One of my guys is someone that I probably talk about every other day, uh, and this is uh, this office alignment, uh, Caesar Ruiz, of course, Shocker. Michigan. Um, I, I love this guy. I think that he he's a first round pick. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people kind of have him, you know between a late first and like mid second uh, type of deal, maybe even late second. I think he's a first round pick. I think that he has a versatility to play both guard positions center if need be. And uh, I, I just don't think you'll get a better quality inside offensive lineman in the, the draft than him. Uh, great footwork, uh, someone that finishes blocks, someone that uh, can get out on the edge. We saw him pulling as a center at Michigan uh, one game I always reference is, is a Notre Dame game. I think he absolutely dominated that game and probably one of the best games of his career. He just absolutely mauled uh, Notre Dame's front seven. And I, I think that he really has a, a chance to be uh, one of those premier inside offensive linemen uh, that, you know, can really help a, a contending team or team uh, looking for that missing piece on our offensive line, uh, sure up the offensive line, and he can be an immediate day one star in my opinion. I am by no means surprised that you wanted to talk about Cesar Ruiz. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. Tyler, who's your first guy? All right. My first guy is a little off the beaten path, but it's Jason Strobridge, North Carolina. I, had I love this guy, too. I, ha- I have, didn't have a lot of exposure to him uh, pre-mobile and sitting with uh, my guys at CCS, uh, Harbaugh, Clay, and Browning. I'm just like, who is this guy? And they were telling me Strowbridge. I'm like, okay. So I watched him all three days of practice, and I don't think he lost a rep. He annihilated Josh Jones on day three with a massive pancake. And just he shows a little bit of everything. But then when you go to the tape, you can tell he's raw. He doesn't play with great leverage. He doesn't he, – he's, he's a real tweener. But I don't care about that. He's a guy that has natural pass rush tools. He can win with a little bit of speed. He's obviously can win with power. And he's got first step quickness, which is for me is a must because quickness is far more important than speed as far as my personal evaluations. And Strowbridge is a guy I want on my football team because he has the ability to be able to develop into a top flight uh, pass rusher and defensive lineman and you're only going to spend at most of a late three early four on him yeah i love strawbridge again kind of like you uh going into mobile i had heard of him but i hadn't watched any of them and i knew he was he he played like uh basically kind of you know three tech five tech at unc so when he came in at like 265 i was surprised because i'm like well i guess he's not really really gonna be taken seriously and then he just whipped everyone's ass for three straight days and again much like you watch some of i watched some of his film while i was down in mobile and i'm just like all right yeah he's raw but the traits are there and there's a skill set that can just be developed and honed and you're not gonna have to spend a, you know a high pick on him. He's he is the quintessential like draft Twitter crush for everyone, and I'm surprised we don't hear about him more. I'm gonna go for my next guy. Um, I'm I, I'm gonna be honest. Um, I like 
Austin Jackson and Matt Pert. I'm going to go for a two for one on this one. Austin Jackson, I know he gets kind of, you know, poo-pooed by draft order because his tape is not, it's not great. It's, it's good, but it's not great. But, I mean, he's got a very, you know, likable story. Obviously, before the season, he donated bone marrow to his sister, which, you know, again, really easy guy to root for. And, yeah, that affected his play. It's going to. It has some lingering effects for several weeks at, you know, um, you know when you're recovering from that. But towards the end of the season, he was doing better. And then, of course, you know, AJ Epineza, you know, snatched his soul in that bowl game. But at the end of the day, the he had way more good tape than he did bad tape. I think you're probably going to be able to get him, it, you know, between 30 and 45, I would say. And he's got upside that after a season or so, he can probably be your starting left tackle. Matt Pert, on the other hand, he's a possible developmental right tackle. I think he he's not quite fast enough to start on the left. Um, but again, really raw, but all of the traits were there. Had a really good senior bowl when I, you know, from what I was watching when I was down there and 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 paying attention to the offensive lineman. I think that he had a better week than Josh Jones. But Josh Jones has maybe slightly more upside, which is why I give the, the nod to Jones. But those are two guys that I think really you can get in round two, and they have big payoffs, whereas there's a lot of risk associated with guys like Mackay Becton or Isaiah Wilson, Lucas Niang, Sadiq Charles, Prince Tegawanogo. Those are two guys where I would go to bat in round two and try my hardest to make sure I got them on my football team. I got a question for you, Mike. You Go like for. Austin, and you like Pert. Where are you on Alex Taylor? I am so low on Alex Taylor. Uh, I have a seventh-round grade on him. He really cannot move that well. And he did not have a great senior bowl week either. So he's big, but that's really all he's got going for him. He's not as athletic as the other two guys are either. And I'm really I, low I on think... Oh, God. I didn't think his senior bowl was that bad. I thought he struggled, but he he showed good enough movement skills, and he's got that reach. If he can strengthen that lower oh, half, yeah. add about like 10 pounds to those legs, I think he he has a chance to be a very successful, at worst, swing tackle. Yeah, the one that, like, I can see a case being made for Taylor. He just he just happened to come in a little lower on my rankings than, than for most. The one where I'm, like, really low on that everyone else seems to be high on is uh, is Winogo from, from Auburn. I'm really low on him. <laughs> How low? Uh, offensive tackle twelve. I have low, him, but it's not crazy. I've seen him like OT five or six, which is insane to me. I think he came in. Where did he come in? Let me take a look. I'm just looking at my. He came in uh, as a fifth rounder. One forty nine overall. So, yeah, 149 overall for me. Okay. Uh, Devin, who's your next guy? I did two, so I'll let both of you guys do two. Okay, so two of mine are uh, – so this wide receiver class is super deep. And, uh, of course, you got talent all over the top, uh, really even in the middle. Uh, so these are, like, two, like, guys that, you know, not necessarily going to play outside receiver. I think more translate more slot guys. But in terms of just fun to watch and just, you know, they just have a knack for getting the ball and just really the route running, you know, I believe will really translate at the next level will be wide receiver Courtney Davis out of Texas A&M and then uh, wide receiver um, Kentucky out of Kentucky, Lynn Bowden Jr. Um, both of them, I think, are going to be really, really good slot receivers in the next level. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Bowden, uh, he played quarterback for Kentucky because uh, their their whole situation is just just something else. That's something for another day. Uh, but I think both of them uh, will translate well at the next level. Uh, Courtney Davis, I think I, I partly I like him because I, I'm kind of hoping that the Saints draft him. Uh, I really like what he can bring to the table, um, and just with Drew Brees and. You know, his short to intermediate passing game, I think Courtney Davis would fit really well in the system. Same thing uh, with uh, Lynn Bowden. But just in, in general, I think both of them 
are very dynamic players. Obviously, uh, Corny Davis does have some issues with some drops and double catches and stuff like that. Uh, but I think that, you know, in, in this wide receiver class, a lot of it gets talked about, you know, you got the uh, C.D. Lamb, of course, uh, Jerry Judy, um, guys like that at the top of the top of the board. Uh, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, uh, guys like that. Um, and, you know, a lot of those guys are in the SEC. But I think, you know, once you get to, you know, the second, third, fourth rounds, uh, some of these other guys that, you know, not exactly the fastest, not exactly the tallest or, uh, you know, just or create separation like crazy. It's like some of those top guys do. But I think that they are going to be some valuable picks. And uh, just over the last couple of weeks, I've been, I've been really diving into their tapes as well. And I'm, I'm pretty familiar with like the top receivers. But I think this wide receiver class is so deep that, you know, someone, you know, like Stefan Diggs, like coming out of college, uh, you know, no one expected him to be what he is today. I mean, he had the obviously the potential and everything, but when you play on Maryland, you know, some of the skills that you showcase don't necessarily get, uh, you know, used to the full potential in college. And we saw Maryland's uh, quarterback situation was at the debacle while Stephon Diggs was uh, in Maryland, at Maryland. As someone that actually, I follow Stephon Diggs pretty, pretty uh, well in, in college. So that someone I just want to use as an example. But uh, I really like those two guys, and I think they uh, will be a, a nice value pick uh, late second, early third, maybe uh, mid to late third, that uh, those guys can, can really go in those ranges right there. Yeah, you know, you, you would have loved being down in, in Mobile with us, Devin, because, uh, you know, I got to talk with, uh, with Courtney Davis's trainer, and I'll tell you, I want someone to go to bat for me like, like Footwork King goes to bat for Courtney Davis. He absolutely loves this kid, and he will. He is like the world's greatest hype man for for Courtney Davis. And I love what I saw when I when I actually sat down and watched Q. He's just he's so good. I think in most classes he's probably being talked about as a second round receiver, and in this year it's just so deep. He's probably going to be available on day on day three. Tyler, who are your two next guys? All right. Well, my uh, my first one was Strobridge, obviously, and then I've got I've kind of got two that are that I grouped together because they're both uh, Golden Gophers: Antoine Winfield Jr. and Tyler Johnson. Ah, Antoine Winfield Jr. I, oh man, dude. I think Devin we and all I, could have, I think we all could have picked him. <laughs> I think we all, all right, could have picked so him. I w- I've been on Antoine Winfield Jr. since he got to the U of M, and he he was injury ridden. He tore his hamstring, and uh, tore a ligament in his foot in his first two games against the University of Maryland. Uh, Kind of eerie, but he was granted a sixth year of eligibility because of that. And I thought that he might not come out as just a third-year player, and he might go back to the U of M, especially with what is uh, building there under uh, Coach P.J. Fleck. They've got a first round wide receiver talent Rashad Bateman but he decides to come out and he proved himself to be a, a potential first rounder himself uh, I was uh talking to my guys at Coast to Coast Scouting uh, before the Penn State game like guys you gotta keep your eye on Winfield Jr he's really good he's not gonna test well but he's gonna do all of these things so well that football guys are gonna love him and then he absolutely dominates the Penn State game the best film of any prospect in this class and he really rose up boards for a lot of people, and people were, had their eyes opened to him. Uh, and then you have Tyler Johnson, who could not have been more productive in college. A two-star recruit, option quarterback at, at North Minneapolis High, and he turned himself into a pretty good wide receiver. He's not going to do anything athletically, athletically superior, but the guy's just going to win. And that's the kind of uh, player I would like on my team. But then he just fumbled the draft process. He didn't. He left the Shrine Bowl so he could prepare for the Combine. Then he didn't work out at the Combine because he wanted to work out at the Pro Day. Now he doesn't have a Pro Day. So he just royally screwed himself over. And Minnesota fans have been absolutely horrible in defending Tyler Johnson. And it's blind faith. It's not. They're not using anything to back it up. And it's just been insufferable. Just not fun at all. And it's really soured me on Tyler Johnson. Right now, 
I think he is a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder. He's he's going to be one of those guys, kind of like how Josie Jewell went in round four to the Broncos a couple years ago. Nothing's going to wow you, but you look at his production, it's just like, I got to take a shot on this guy because he knows how to produce at a high level. And Tyler Johnson is still a guy I would want on my team, but there are red flags. Yeah, you know, you mentioned, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I've got a late fifth on him. Uh, he's sitting at wide receiver 27. Um, he's grouped basically with Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin, Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island, Kendrick Rogers from A&M, you know, Juwan Jennings, Omar Bayless. He's in like that tier. And I think that throughout the season, we just saw his his stock just dip every single week. And it really started when Minnesota lost those two games at the end of the year because I can say for myself that for the most part, I had, I had had him in kind of that top 40, top 50 range. And then Pan's issues started presenting themselves. And he just really finished the season sour. And then this whole, you know, offseason has been a debacle for him. And then you go back and you watch some of the film from even when Minnesota was having that really hot start. And, yeah, it just it didn't really hold up on second viewing as it did when it was happening live. And it's just it's been really sad. And I felt I feel bad now that he doesn't have a pro day, you know, uh, to participate in because he 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 done screwed himself with this. He earned his fate, man. And he he, I, he I, honestly did. I get what you're saying about the Johnson tape. It's hard to go back and watch him because all I want to do is watch Rashad Bateman. Right? He pops off the page. Man, I thought I was the only one that thought that too. <laughs> oh, Bate, look, Bateman's going to get overshadowed next year because look at the guys that are going to be coming out in that class. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, <laughs> Justin Ross. Next Devon year's Chase, class makes this Ron year's Dale receiver Moore. class look ridiculously, you know, somehow, like, weak by comparison. Look, this year's receiver class is going to be much deeper Next year's looks way more top-heavy because right that, now you're true. looking at Rashad Bateman as wide receiver five or six. And, I mean, we've talked about it with this class. Guys like T. Higgins, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs. Guaranteed any other receiving class, they're going to be number one. Well, it's just not the case. There's just so many good receivers this year and next year that you're going to get a really talented player at a good value. The running back and wide receiver classes for this year and next year are just insane. I was shocked at uh, you know the fact that we had potentially three guys that would have got in the top fifty go back to school, and I still have um, second round grades or better on five running backs. <laughs> like I was shocked at that, and then next year we have you know three potential guys that are going to be vying for first round grades themselves. Are there any other guys you guys want to throw out there? Because, like, I don't really think I have many more in terms of guys. Just, like, I mean, my only other two I can think of would be Malik Harrison and Cam Brown just because they were awesome interviews down in Mobile, and the tape's really good on both. Um, But, like, other than that, I don't really have anyone else that either is one of my guys or that you guys have mentioned. Maybe Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. Uh, for me, it's it's the my my secret weapon, Josh Uche. Oh yeah, 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 you and Uche. <laughs> this guy in every every team specific mock finds some way to pick Josh Uche. He he's I believe he's one of the can't miss prospects. I I honestly believe that. So, I mean, I feel like if he's there, a team is gonna take him. You know. I mean, you're not wrong. It's just, that's how you're winning these head to heads. Uh, Tyler, what about you? I guess my last one would probably be Zach Bond. I talked mm-hmm. to him at the Senior Bowl specifically about how everybody is making that Anthony Barr comp, and I I told him like, hey, you know, I see a lot of the same things when I watch both of you play. Like, and I asked him about, you know, do you feel more comfortable stand up uh, pass rusher or an off ball linebacker? And he told me, you know, I hear that comp a lot. And just talking to him, and he he made a reference to uh, Midwest fast food chain Culver's uh, being like. Hey, Col- Culver's Culver's is the shit, man. 
Culver's is fantastic. I love, I love Culver's. I love Culver's, man. You, you can go ahead, though. Yeah, all right. Culver's is fantastic and deserves a hella shout-out. Um, sponsor the pod, guys. Anyways, Vaughn uh, <laughs> is a fantastic uh, just guy to talk to. Love the tape. And he's somebody that I would, I would definitely want on the Vikings. But he's going to end up a New England Patriot, and we just can't fight it anymore because he is – Another great comp for him is Kyle Van Noy, just a Swiss Army knife. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I I I love Zach Bond. Uh, we we obviously got to watch him a lot during the regular oh, season. Yeah. Seeing his rise was, you know, fantastic. Him and Chris um, Orr as a duo was absolutely fantastic watching that defense. Uh, not so much in the Ohio State games for Chris Orr, but the duo, like any other game, I mean, they they were like. Tear running backs up. Terrorize running backs. I got to give a shout out to my guy, CCS Dan Kiefer, who is on Zach Bond from day one. And he was the first person I saw to really be in on him as a really good draft prospect. Yeah, you guys have, you guys have kind of really been good at picking your spots on guys. Uh, wasn't Barnes also? Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, sorry. Barnes was the, the one on, on Joe Burrow before everyone else, right? <laughs> Barnes thought Joe Burrow could be really good moving forward. Uh, first full offseason with LSU, new offense. You're doing a lot of things that he can be really successful with, and they had a really good surrounding cast, which LSU always has had. And he was 100% spot on. He deserves all the credit in the world for um, sticking his neck out there and uh, believing in Joe Burrow. Uh, because let's be honest, not a lot of guys did, and I'll, I'll give him that a hundred percent. Definitely, definitely, and you know what? That that definitely se- segues into uh, kind of our last take before we get out of here, because we've we've been running a little long, and while well, we were talking for quite a bit before we went live, we were a month out from the draft, guys. It's hot take season because well, what else are we gonna do? We're all quarantined in our basements right now. Um, what do you guys have in terms of things that, you know, like just now is the time to unleash the spiciest, hottest Idris Elba wing eating gift takes that you've got? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, pre- I think about that like every other day. That video is just so hilarious. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. All right, I'll start, I guess. Um, one, one, it was. It's not more so like who, of where people are going to get drafted, more of what a team should do, uh, a specific team. And this is not about the Saints, uh, by the way. This is this is about another team. I think the Dolphins should trade for Deshaun Watson. Oh, I think they should do it. I think they should should go all in and trade for him. So and are we talking like fourth round pick and back a bag of, of chips. And a yeah. bag of chips. Um, Two thirds and Doritos, and you're sold. Exactly. <laughs> you son of a bitch, I'm in. But the, I think they, I think they should go after Deshaun Watson and uh, part with like one, one of the first round picks. Probably they might have to to, to uh, part with uh, the the fifth pick overall. Um, maybe maybe a, a third uh, in a, a 2021. Second or third? I don't. I don't know how how it works, but I, I'm just thinking they should go all in, get Deshaun Watson, and you know, spend their draft capital with they with other picks they have, building around him. Uh, you know, getting better offensive linemen, and just just go all in. I think that that will be uh, a perfect match, and it. I just feel like Deshaun Watson des- desperately needs to get out of Houston because they're they're just gonna run him to the ground. At this point, with Bill O'Brien as the the GM head coach, whatever you want to call him, because uh, he's barely both. But anyway, oh, uh, oh. yeah, that's my hot take. Tyler, what do you got? This one is really spicy, so uh, sit down and strap in. Oh, I like the sounds of this. I think the Chiefs need to sell the farm to get Henry Ruggs. Oh, God, that would be terrifying. I explained this in the last mock draft that I did where I had 
the Chiefs trading up from 32 to 10 by giving up this year's one, next year's one, and a three. Pick 96. It's comparable to what the Saints gave up to go from 27 to, I believe, 12 to get Marcus, excuse me, Marcus Davenport. Think it was they gave 15? Devin, you're gave the Saints a, fan. They, they gave up a one of five and a one that year. Yeah, I, I don't know what uh, what pick they ended up getting, but yeah, I do remember that. And I was looking at that like, what? But it when he's healthy, he he's a terror. So I think the Saints need to sell the farm for rugs because it would, one, fortify their most important asset in Patrick Mahomes. You already have his comp in Tyreek Hill, except Ruggs is more physical, he's better at the catch point, and he's got really strong hands, and, and he runs crisp routes. Tyreek Hill can stop on a dime, and he can blitz past you, but he's not going to run a perfect dig route. He's not going to run like like a comeback where he's going to really sink his hips and break out, kind of like what, what Van Jefferson does. Ruggs is going to have a little more of that technical element to him, along with that game-breaking speed. And pairing those two, you have Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams. That's absolutely disgusting. And I don't care who you play on the defensive side of the football. You have a good pass rush. And you have Patrick Mahomes just put up 40 a game and prosper. I like that. I like that. I, I, I both want that to happen, and I'm terrified of it happening for... Uh, God, just so many reasons. Um, I'm going to go with mine, and mine's draft prospect related. So I think we can all kind of safely say by this point that the quarterback class after, like, the first seven names absolutely sucks, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a three-round drop-off between my seventh and eighth-ranked quarterbacks. But I'm gonna go with one in uh, in particular, and that's Jake Fromm. I think that Jake Fromm is gonna be the seventh quarterback taken, because I think well, obviously the top four are pretty much set in stone: Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love. I think five is Jalen Hurts because of the great uh, pre-draft process he's had. Then I think Jacob Eason probably somewhere in, you know, day two. I think Jake Fromm falls to day three because he doesn't have a strong arm. He's not very mobile. He doesn't really have much going for him outside of winning games and football intelligence. And I mentioned this in an article uh, not too long ago. I think it was right out of the uh, the combine that... You know, there are some guys that have just had, you know, decent arms and, you know, decent football IQ and won some games. And where did that get them? It was like Matt McGloin, Kellen Moore, Christian Hackenberg, uh, XFL, AAF coaching. Hey, um, hey, be careful with those Penn State quarterbacks now. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Hey, you had a good one in Kerry Collins. Just enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I just, the more I think about it, like, I, I prefer Fromm to Hurts. He's ranked over Hurts for me based off of the fact that I don't think Jalen Hurts is particularly good. But I think that ultimately he will fall into early day three instead when the actual draft comes around due to real lack of upside. All right, here, here's his hot take for you. I got two of them just off of your Jake Fromm one. All right. My comp for for Jake Fromm is Dollar Store Peyton Manning. (laughs) Dollar Store Peyton Manning. I love it. Okay. He's a very smart guy. He does absolutely nothing physically impressive, but he gets the job done. But he's not going to do it at anywhere near a level that Peyton Manning did. So it's a Dollar Store version. I like it. Yep. My second one is out of all of these guys, I think Jacob Eason is going to be a better pro than a college quarterback. In terms of, like, the whole class? Yes. Oh, wow. Of everyone in this class, 
all you all you need to do to make Jacob Eason successful, give him decent protection, give and give him receivers who one can separate and two yeah. can catch a football. <laughs> some of, some of Eason's throws, his wow throws, aren't necessarily the ones that are strong arms or the massive bazooka he's got attached to his shoulder. No, it's the ball placement on out routes. It's where where the ball's you know fitting into narrow gaps because his receivers can't separate worth a shit. And when he's hitting guys, they're dropping the football. I watched six Eason games. I counted, I believe, 30 drops. I'm going to send that- you a tweet. I'm wondering if this is one of the plays you're thinking of. I think this was against yeah, this was against Cal. This is great radio by the way, but <laughs> yeah, it you know what? Oh, th- that was actually good ball placement because he's trying to get him to stop. And... Yeah, the more I watched it, yeah, but the like in the moment I blamed it on Eason. And then the more I've watched it, it's no, it's totally on his wide receiver on this one. It's it's the out route against Cal for for those listening. He is rolling to his left, trying to get the wide receiver to stop because his wide receiver is wide open and his wide receiver runs out of bounds. And just his ability to moving to his left, he reminds me of Kirk Cousins in this way. He's able to square his hips and fire a very accurate football going across his body. That's something that is incredibly difficult to do as a passer. And he has those kind of mechanics. And you can fit, you can clean up the rest of it. You can clean up the footwork, his ability to sense pressure. You can help elevate that. But it was obvious that with his receivers, he didn't trust them worth a shit. And outside of Hunter Bryant, he shouldn't have. They were awful. And he had bad protection because Trey Adams can barely move. Yeah, yeah, Trey Adams can barely move. But uh, the rest of the offensive line was pretty good. And you've got Nick Harris, who people are torn on Nick Harris. I think he's kind of a Garrett Bradbury clone. He's a smaller, not-so-strong center. Phenomenal at getting the second level. Give him like a little bit more muscle in the lower half. He's going to be great. But Same. Eason, I love Eason, and I really wanted him on my squad. He's not going to end up there, but imagine Eason sitting behind Tom Brady for two years, let him take over, and it, you could have a Hall of Famer handing it off to a future Pro Bowler, kind of like how... Uh, Brett Favre did to Aaron Rodgers. So it's funny you mentioned the Bucks because even before Brady, and I think e- even with Brady now, I've for multiple you know drafts that I've posted had that Kansas City trade out of thirty one, Tampa trades up, gets Eason at the end of round one, gets the fifth year option. End of story. I'm still thinking that that's a great you know possibility come. April twenty third. Well, yeah, because they have, have to have a success a succession plan for when Tom Brady leaves. Because you just don't know. I mean, you know what you're getting in him right now, but you don't know if he's going to play next year. If he's going to play the year after. So regardless, you know, you have to have someone viable enough. And I mean, it was Jameis Winston last year. I mean, you can't really think who was behind him. You know. They had the the battle between him and uh, Fitzpatrick the year before, but I mean, who are you going to count on if Tom Brady goes down? So I think that would be uh, a solid move. And to to go back to your point about the the actual uh, tweet that you sent, Mike, um, you know, in terms, I I, I would agree uh, with Tyler's um, analysis of that uh, being, you know, having played you know, tight end in, in college, those were some of the hardest ones to like stop your momentum, you know? And, you know, the ball placement was perfect. I mean, he, the, the receiver just pretty much lost awareness where he was on the field and didn't, you know, throttle down to, you know, prepare himself to, to hit the sideline. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've actually over the last couple of weeks, I've started to like Easton's game more and more. Cause at first, you know, First watch, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't see this guy getting picked before the third round. Now, I mean, it, it's a possibility, you know, depending on what you have around him. And the Bucks, man, do, do they have a great 
um, receiving core. Uh, you know, they're they're going to protect Tom Brady for sure this year. I think that'll be a great situation for him to come in and step into. All right, I got a really, really spicy one, and this is a, kind of a, a team-specific one. Um, I've done it a couple of times in some simulations and whatnot. The Denver Broncos need to trade up possibly, I would say, as high as maybe six or seven overall to invest in an offensive tackle. Because if you look at it, especially if the Giants decide to not go with an offensive tackle at four, let's say they go uh, Isaiah Simmons, because, well, Gettleman loves his linebackers. So let's say... If all of the offensive tackles are available, they need to trade up to, with the Chargers or the Panthers because they need to get their guy. Arizona's going to be looking at an offensive tackle. Cleveland's going to be looking at maybe another offensive tackle. The Jets, the Bucks, they all pick in front of Denver and they all desperately need offensive, you know, offensive tackles. If I'm Denver, I'm calling up Carolina. I'm calling up the, the, you know, even the Chargers. I know it's a division rival, but screw it. And I'm saying we'll give you 15 and two of our three third rounders. And you get the left tackle fix because Garrett Bowles sucks. Jawan James is never healthy. And if you're telling me that I can get Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills, I am calling as fast as I can. I would try to get that trade done now. Uh, God, Denver is getting really, really close to being a playoff contending team. And the one thing that's holding them back, their offensive line is terrible. So they need to basically try to go all in, like you said, with the Chiefs and Rugs, but they need to protect Drew Locke before they damage him. I disagree with that take, Mike. Obviously, they need to protect Drew Locke. But one thing you're missing is Pat Shermer is the new offensive coordinator. What Pat Shermer is going to do is he's going to run a little bit of a zone blocking scheme. He's going to find a way to improve these offensive linemen without changing them out. He's going to take Garrett Bowles. Let's say he's left tackle 25 in the NFL. Just throwing an arbitrary number, okay? He's going to improve him to make him like left tackle 18 to 20. The little things that he's going to implement with his offense, play action and movement, and especially implementing the running game, is going to make a massive difference on how well these linemen perform and make them less of a liability. So as much as tackle is a need for Denver, I don't believe it's a need where you have to trade up into the back end of the top 10 and get one of those guys guaranteed. Because if you get a guy like Henry Ruggs, they're going to be able to do some very creative things with him, Sutton, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay. Like, I, I don't think it's as necessary as it seems on paper. I can see that. I would also say that is improving Garrett Bowles to, let's say, like you said, offensive tackle 18, 19, 20. Is that worth missing out on, let's say, someone with, you know, a Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirth's potential to maybe be a top 10 at the position within a year or two. I get what you're saying, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I will take Henry Ruggs and whatever uh, project offensive tackle you give me in round two or round three versus trading three picks to get Tristan Wirfs and not have that absolutely dynamic playmaker on the outside. I can, it's, I can see both sides of the argument. I just, man, they're, they're offensive line. Garrett Bowles gets called with a lot of penalties, and Juwan James is never healthy. Devin, you got one more, and then we'll wrap up? Um, Nah, I don't. <laughs> nah, Tyler, nah. you got one more? I, I got one more. All right. Hit us with it. The Saints need to draft Jalen Hurts in round one. Oh. And, they, and not only do they need to draft Jalen Hurts in round one, they Sean Payton needs to fuck with the entire NFL <laughs> by having Jalen Hurts and Taysom Hill 
in a wishbone set behind Drew Brees <laughs> and just do some wacky, crazy shit. Have like Alvin Kamara do do a jet sweep of Michael Thomas on the outside, and Drew Brees just just has fun doing backyard bullshit. And at the end of the day, in two years, you can hand the ball over to Jalen Hurts. Sean Payton has already crafted a great offense for a guy with physical limitations at this point in his career in Drew Brees, and they are incredibly effective utilizing uh, scheme to get guys open, to get guys in wide open space so Brees can hit him. Brees can still throw accurate, but that arc is way more of a rainbow than it used to be. You get a guy like Jalen Hurts, he, I think he's a high-floor player in that you already know what he is. Like he's not going to be high floor. Is like, all right, this guy is going to be a solid starting guard for ten years. No, he's a high floor player, and he has decent arm strength. He's really good at one read type throws. He's very athletic and mobile, and he can evade pressure in the pocket. You take all those things, you build on everything else that we already talked about earlier with him growing on. Two years behind Drew Brees with the kind of character and coachability that Jalen Hurts possesses, and you could be uh, looking at a another good 10, 15-year run with Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints. Devin, as a resident Saints fan? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't. I'm really split on... The Saints do need um, a succession plan. I don't think Taysom Hill is it. Um, obviously I could be wrong, but I don't think he is, can be the quarterback of the future for the Saints. Um, I think just what he is, I, I don't know. I just don't feel confident that if Drew Brees goes down this year, especially that we're going to be okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, Taysom Hill just brings such a different dynamic when they put him at quarterback, but use him at tight end and, uh, fullback, you know, kick returner punt returner sometimes. Um, I mean, adding Jalen Hurts, I guess, I, I don't know. I just don't see it first round. Like, I get if it may be their third round pick, you know, I could see that, but I just, I don't know. I don't see it in the first round, but I mean, I'm really not opposed to having him on the roster. I I, I like Jalen Hurts. I think he is such like a polarizing player, but he just knows how to win. You know, he does what it takes to win. And, you know, that that really can't be overlooked, you know. And what uh, I, I guess uh, if there was a place that he could go that I know that they could get something out of him, I think the Saints would be it. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to him getting drafted by the Saints. I just don't think it should be a first-round pick. I think the benefit of him being taken in the first round by the New Orleans Saints is the fact that you have that fifth year option. You already know he's going to be sitting behind Drew Brees for at least one season, probably two. And because he's sitting behind Drew Brees for that length of time, it gives you the opportunity and flexibility that after two years, you still have a fifth year, a third year for him as a starter before you really make a commitment of any kind of financial uh, being to Jalen Hurts because you're going to know more about who he is as a quarterback. Like, it is 24 too high for him? Yeah. But the value of having a quarterback on a rookie contract, just imagine what you could do with the $30 million cap hit that Drew Brees is carrying this year and how you could already already continue to build in that loaded roster that New Orleans possesses. That 2017 draft class, you might be able to duplicate that just with the kind of impact that you could bring in with that financial capital. So as much as it maybe not be a value, the value of having that cap space for that period of time is something that can't be overstated. I mean, I just... Wow. Yeah. I, I'm wondering when we'll finally kind of clue in that Taysom Hill is, is not that guy. But, uh, yeah, you know, I could see I would much rather the Saints move forward with a Jalen Hurts than a, than a Taysom Hill. Uh, our boss, um, Dalton Miller, has put it best. Uh, and if you look at his uh, bio on Twitter, Taysom Hill is fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It, it, yes. Mean girl tweet. 
obviously. Um, I think that is the best possible way we could end this this episode. So again, you can find me on Twitter, MikeH underscore draft. You can find Devin on Twitter at RealD underscore Jackson. I am in the middle of doing 12 days straight of content uh, on Blue Chip Scouting, so go check that out. You can find Tyler on Twitter at CCS the Real Forno, correct? That is correct. You can find me there. You can also find all my work at ccscouting.com and uh, follow the site on Twitter at ccscouting. We've got a, a lot of good stuff. We have two mocks coming out a week. We are in the midst, just over halfway through our team mocks. Uh, tomorrow, on Tuesday, we will be dropping the Philadelphia Eagles hey. mock draft, and we are getting into the playoff teams. So it is definitely going to be a must-watch there, and there's a lot of good stuff consistently coming out, and I'm really excited to keep pushing it. Definitely. So until next time, guys, take it easy. Stay safe. Stay indoors if you can, and we'll catch you next week. Wash your hands, too.